0: welcome to another episode of the future socks podcast my name is mike rankin very special guest today josh norris first let's introduce james fox senior editor well, along with us at future socks josh norris of baseball america you can follow him at j norris 427 on twitter josh took a trip to well around the carolina area to see some prospects and caught a lot of the cannapolis cannonballers so we're going to have to uh, pick his brain a little bit on those players a lot of them in the top 30 for Baseball America's top 30 White Sox list, and that's where we're going to start today. Josh, awesome to talk to you again. It's always a pleasure. Let's get into where the Sox stand organizationally in their top 30. Interesting to see Colson Montgomery number one on this list, and there's a number of draft picks from this year's class on the top 30 for the White Sox. So I want to get your take on Colson Montgomery and even Westcath. Montgomery one, Westcath three. Love to hear your take on why that is here in the Sox top thirty.
1: Well, I think if, if you, you're honest about it, the Sox system is is not great right now. It's it's just not. But I, as I said, I think in the opener to the top thirty, it's not good for all the right reasons. It's had a ton of guys come through there and graduate, and the last one to graduate was Michael Kopech. He graduated, I don't know, like a week before the the list dropped. Uh, So he was the last real big boy of the last couple years to graduate, and that left the system pretty fallow. Um, We liked Colton Montgomery a lot on the draft side, which I don't have a whole lot to do with myself. I'm more on the prospect side. But in looking the way we ranked him and what we wrote about him, this is a guy who would go atop a system like this. Um, you know, you could talk about Yoelki Cespedes, but he's, it's a kind of a weird line to straddle because he's 23 at high A, but there's also a lot of rust to kick off there because, you know, of the, the delay between defection and, you know, uh, getting to an affiliated ball and to say nothing of what happened during the pandemic. Uh, so it's kind of, I feel like the first year for Cuban guys is always a, kind of a catch up year. So I don't know if this is, I mean, if you saw Luis Robert in his first year uh, in stateside and then you saw him in his second year, you saw two incredibly different ballplayers. So I don't know if this, I haven't seen Cespedes myself yet. I think I well outside of the futures game, but that wasn't much of a look. We'll see him some point this next month, but I put Montgomery up because he's younger and I think has a bit of a higher upside, at least the way, you know, evaluators speak about him.
0: We're really excited that the White Sox went prep, prep in the first two rounds in 21. Westcath looks really impressive as well. Before we get to West Westcath and your opinions there a little bit, I, I want to know your evaluation of the White Sox farm system as a whole compared to the rest of the league. Because this top 30, we're seeing a number of names that we're familiar with, like Jonathan Stever, Jimmy Lambert, Mike Adolfo, Gonzalez, Rutherford. I mean, they've been on list after list after list on this White Sox top 30, but here we are. They're still trying to make a name for themselves in AAA, AA, respectively. And we don't know if these are legitimate big league talents. And ahead of them are a lot of young players, especially out of high school. What is it about the top 30 at this point, considering the White Sox are obviously in a window to win now? A lot of their top 30 prospects, like you mentioned, have graduated. But what is it about the transition now that says, okay, where do the White Sox stand? among the rest of the league in terms of their prospects and their farm system?
1: Well, I believe we're going to update the organizational rankings come sometime this week. And, you know, entering the trade deadline, I would have said it was, you know, either the Nationals or the White Sox were going to be number 30. And the Nationals obviously added, uh, you know, at least a couple top 100 type talents, K. Bear Ruiz, guys like that. Um, and the White Sox, understandably, didn't add anyone. They they weren't in a position to add anyone except maybe the odd, you know, guy where you get as a throw-in, uh, kind of like Kelvin Fauché, went back to the Rays in the Nelson Cruz deal. So they lost two guys in Bailey Horn and Connor Pilkington. They don't have any top 100 prospects. They don't have anybody right now who we have really close to the top 100, so I would be very surprised if they're not number 30 whenever we drop our organizational rankings. I think that meeting is going to come sometime this week.
0: Well, that's very encouraging to hear as a White Sox fan, but I guess it happens, right? It's realistic. It's to and be flows. I mean,
1: Look at it this way. like The Mariners were 30 a couple years ago. Now they're in conversation for number one. And, uh, it's going to there be an interesting battle between them and the Rays, but... You know what? You've got a really good big league club in contention for at least the pennant and I think I'm not sure White Sox fans would take a pennant or a World Series ring over the number 1 farm system.
0: Yeah, I think so, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> but like I said this is this is a, they spent a
1: lot of time their their pro scouting department and amateur scouting department did, and international scouting department did really good jobs getting guys like Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and Michael Kopeck into their system. And I'm sure, you know, uh, there's, there's other guys I'm not thinking about. Oh, Lucas Giolito into their system and Tim Anderson into their system. And this is what it's become. It's become a really good team that, you know, put itself at the top of the division, uh, even, and was able to withstand the loss of Eloy and the loss of, uh, Luis Robert for sustained periods of time. So again, their their system is bottom end, but for all the right reasons.
0: Right. And I think Josh, you're starting to see the start of a new cycle in which the White Sox are trying to supplant the farm with talent again. And I think that does go back because we're seeing on baseball America's top thirty, international signings were young, high school prospects drafted, and they're they're littered across the White Sox top 30. And it's very encouraging to see that, you know, obviously you don't want to hear that they're bottom. Uh, the bottom of the league potentially, even number 30. However, I think there's a lot of optimism surrounding the younger players. And specifically, I want to touch on Wes Cath here and just his projectability, what you're hearing from people that you speak to and your own evaluation or your sense of what Wes Cath can become uh, as a potential major leaguer.
1: I haven't obviously seen Wes Cath myself. I, like I said, I don't do a whole heck of a lot of, with the draft myself. But our draft guys do, I think, a fantastic job. Shout out Carlos Colazzo. Shout out JJ Cooper. Slap, shout out Ben Badler. Everybody on that side who does a really good job. And the separating factor for me with Montgomery and Kath is Montgomery has a better chance to play shortstop. They're both high-end upside guys. And you know, right now, the way we had them ranked, I think they are top you know, three prospects in that system. They're some of the better draft prospects available and they have pretty decently high ceilings. And, you know, outside of, you know, in your top 10, once you get to eight and Gavin sheets, I think the first seven are all ceiling guys sheets, obviously, and Berger more or less what they are. um, And that's big leaguers, you know, but those first seven are guys. I think you can dream on a little bit. I mean, there are, There are warts with all seven of them, but if they reach their 1% or 10% ceiling, you've got some pretty interesting ballplayers, I think.
2: Josh, you did the the preseason list for the White Sox, too, obviously. Are you surprised at all by the, I guess, the limited or any of the success, I guess, that Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger have had and made it up to the majors and helped a team, you know, whether that's just a little bit or for a couple of weeks, like a team that's in contention to actually win something?
1: Yes and no. Sheets, I'm not surprised because the reports coming out of Instructional League were excellent on him. Um, from what I hear, you know, I think it's well publicized that he was not thrilled that he didn't get an in- invite to the um, the alternate training site. He took it to heart and went and got more athletic, which is not something you often hear people do. And you know, made him into a person himself into a player who can play the outfield. And that was something that opened, opened Scouts' eyes down at Instructs. The power has always been there, but it took some work with the White Sox hitting department to kind of retool the way he thought about his swing to get to that power. So no, I, I'm not surprised he got to the big leagues. Berger, yes. Um, and I think you know everybody but Jake Berger would be surprised. I'll say this, like I, I, I've i said about Berger before, probably on your podcast, when he came out, first year he came out, the, the the biggest tool on his card was makeup. He is an extraordinarily driven, uh, dedicated young man who has been through a ton uh, to get back to where he was. And then he got to Charlotte and did what most guys do at Charlotte, and that's hit. And they got he got, got himself a futures game invite, got himself a spot in the big leagues. So a little bit surprised in that he was able to stay healthy, but I would never qu- question that guy's dedication to getting back there and to to getting to the ultimate goal. So those are guys, those guys are both guys who did it different ways, but the result was the same. They no matter how far the White Sox get this year, they might if they get to the AL pennant or they get to the World Series, those guys are going to get rings.
2: So, you know, looking at the list, there's obviously, there's a clump or a cluster, I guess, of like prep arms that are there. And we're going to get into some of those guys later because you've seen them in person recently, but you have Cuban Norhe Vera ranked fourth in the system and, you know, maybe it's splitting hairs between four, five, six at this point, but I guess just um, what, are, what are the reasons for ranking Vera as the top pitching prospect in the system, despite the fact that he hasn't pitched at all in the DSL yet?
1: I think it's you know the the trust in what our international guy Ben Badler saw as a ceiling for him, and you know talking to their officials that in the limited looks they've had in side sessions and things like that, he's the highest upside Latin arm they've had in some time, and I think once he does get going, you're going to see a really good pitching prospect. So I I'm 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 buying the unknown here. Uh, if if it makes sense, fewer warts have been exposed uh on that guy so it's it's kind of the same idea with montgomery and cat like they haven't failed so and and the the scouting report is still the same but he's got some really good stuff it's just a matter of him getting to show it just yet
2: yeah and we you know i really like vera too i i do the um the international stuff here at future socks and we've talked to ben you know multiple times too and i was very excited to at least get reports but he's you know, it's one of those weird cases where, you know, he lived in the Dominican. So for him to get his bonus, like he can't come stateside right away. So he's, you know, he's too advanced for that league, obviously. But, you know, he's. I feel like it won't hurt him if he's, you know, in like Winston all of a sudden next year, you know, and then kind of like moves a little bit quicker. But yeah, that's why I, I I think I have him a little bit higher than some of those other prep arms too. to deviate for one second away from a guy that's no longer on the list, Andrew Vaughn obviously ranked very highly for you and for everybody else for a while. Um, How surprised are you to see, not the fact that he's hitting in the majors, but I mean, I always was under the impression too, that he was probably first base only. And look, he's not a great outfielder, but I mean, he's played left. He's played right. I think he's moonlighted at third and second for the White Sox. How how surprising is it that he's kind of played all over um, so far in the big leagues?
1: A, A little bit surprising, but if you pay attention, you know, Versatility is the name of the game in the big leagues these days. If if you can do a lot of stuff, you have a lot more avenues. I mean, I think it's pretty incredible that he's been able to do what he's done in the big leagues, despite having very little minor league experience, uh, depending on how you want to view the alternate site. I view it with you know more than one grain of salt, for sure. Um, but I, I think it's incredibly impressive that he was able to get himself to the big leagues that quickly, and has been, you know, as good as he has been, uh, and you know is is getting regular playing time on a playoff team. So so good for him. I think the the best is yet to come for him too.
0: Uh, we're fans of Andrew Vaughn. Uh, that is absolutely true. <laughs> we like him a lot, and we're glad that he's on the White Sox. Uh, how about this one, Josh? And before we get into your experience watching the Cannonballers, a couple of arms: Andrew Dahlquist, Jared Kelly. I want to get your take on Romy Gonzalez in the future that he may have in the White Sox system. Getting a little older now is the 2018 class up for rule five eligibility at the end of this season. We'll see how the CBA affects anything. I, I highly doubt that, you know, any significant changes will you know take place among that pattern. But with Romy Gonzalez working in Birmingham, he got off to a scorching start this season. He's got power and he's got speed in terms of being able to steal some bags I mean, is there a legit, you talk about versatility, is there a legitimate utility man developing under our eyes here or under our noses that we're not really paying attention to and Romy Gonzalez?
1: I think, I think, I don't know if that's under your noses because your noses are pretty in tune to the White Sox system, but he certainly is a guy that has surprised me. I mean, he. I remember in the draft report card, whatever year he came out, he was given best power, and now that you're telling me he's playing up the middle and that power is still showing at the upper levels, well, you got something. And, you know, in talking to scouts about various clubs, he's, he always comes up as a bright spot. So, yeah, I think there there might be a big leaguer here. And if he can stick up the middle and have power, well, I mean, what more do you want at this point? That's a pretty good combination of, uh, of skills and, you know, middle diamond playability. That's, I mean, he, he might not be Tim Anderson. He might not be guys like that, but he's, I think he is, he's going to be a big leaguer.
0: And you look at his frame, too, right? I mean, he's up over 200 pounds. He's going to turn 25 in September. And like you said, you know, if he's able to play up the middle with the power that he brings, I think it's definitely worth the intrigue at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what the White Sox decide to do with a player like him. Um, and we're going to keep an eye on it. Now, let's let's actually transition now to, to your experience watching the Cannonballers a little bit, because this is what I'm really excited to hear uh, about is related to the starters that you saw in Jared Kelly and Andrew Dahlquist. And I want to get your take on, on what you saw while you watched them work. Uh, Kelly's had a weird first professional full season uh, dealing with injuries in and out of starts as uh, Andrew Dahlquist though, looks like he is improving as he gets more and more experience. What did you see down there from Kelly and Dahlquist?
1: Dahlquist was the second time I saw him the first time. I think he got four outs um, before, he'd given up enough runs and or hit his pitch account or something and got yanked. Um, the full up. the fastball velocity has gotten a lot better. Um, he touched 96 or seven for me and sat in the low nineties, low to mids. I was a little concerned with the off speed stuff. It really didn't do a whole lot in the first couple of innings of the out of the outing. It got a little bit better as it went along, but I know the curveball wasn't good throughout most of the outing and the changeup and slider kind of just kind of sat there for a while. Um, I think he benefited in that particular start due to the fact that the, the, the team he was facing had a lot of guys who have a lot of swing and miss in their game, uh, but it got better. I mean, he broke off some, some changeups and sliders that were decent, but I mean, there's, there's still a ways to come and the command needs to come too. you know, there's, there's moments where it's, pretty dialed in it looks like the guy you're looking for uh and there's moments where it's not it, it's not even close so it was an okay outing it was better than the first time there's still something there and i think one of the things i struggle with this year is just how much of a leash to give some guys some of some of these guys this year you know this is their first this is essentially their first pro year in mean let, to say what you want about last year, but that was instructs and who whoever got to the the alternate site, and that's just not the same. You know, facing your own guys is not the same as facing guys who are trying to, you know, actually do damage against you. Um, so it's there's a learning curve. It's a steep learning curve, and you know he's he's going to have his ups and downs, just like a lot of high school right-handers. Kelly, this is the first time I saw him. I tried to see him some point when I saw was the first time, but he was on the probables and then got scratched. And then we all know he was on the shelf for a while with the forearm. He was okay. The fastball velocity was mid nineties. He touched 99 for me. Uh, there's a little late tail at the end, a little late bite there at the end. But what concerns me with him is that there's not a whole lot of deception. Like he, you can see the ball pretty clearly throughout the arm stroke. There's a lot of hitters on that club that have swing and miss in their game, and they simply were not swinging and missing. They weren't making good contact always, but they were not swinging and missing. And that's, you know, when I watch, I tend to circle every pitch that gets a swing and miss. And through the first like three or four innings, he had like four of them, which is a little concerning for a guy who throws that hard. The slider showed flashes of, you know, something that could be a potential plus kind of down the line, but there weren't many of them. There were some that were well below average. You know, they they broke too early, or were not were not strikes long enough to get hitters to bite. Same idea with the changeup. You know, basically just the same idea just went the other direction. It was a couple of them that were really good, but he didn't use it particularly often either. So there were some things to like. He threw a lot of strikes, which was you know better than he had been doing, but it wasn't it wasn't you know the the high ceiling guy you want to see there's there's definitely some stuff he needs to work on and i think if you talk to the white Sox too they say he he absolutely needs to get in better shape like he's significantly thicker than he was coming out of the draft and that's concerning too for a 19 year old
2: so one of the one of the bright spots in canapolis has been shortstop jose rodriguez um you know i know that you've you saw him a few times he you know, I was a little bit worried just after I had talked to Scouts myself just kind of about what the approach would do to him like at higher levels cuz he he hit like crazy in the DSL and in Arizona and now he's hitting in Low A and he's age appropriate, but I mean when he gets to High A or Birmingham, like is is he going to have to completely change his approach to continue to be like on the prospect track? I
1: don't think it's that simple. Like he he may need to swing at better strikes, but I was really impressed yesterday. Uh, or two days ago, when this comes out um, Saturday, with you know he uh, Antoine Kelly was the guy starting for the Mudcats, and he was working him away. The first inning, he got a fastball; I think it was ninety-four away. He didn't try to pull it. He didn't try to go crazy and you know yank it over the over the fence. He went with it and made hard, authoritative contact to the right side. Great to see. Next at bat, um, Kelly, who had a really good slider put one on the outside. It was a little bit of a hanger, but he put it on the outside part. And again, Rodriguez didn't come out of his shoes to try to pull it over the wall. He went with it and lashed it into the right center field alleyway. And later in the game, he did the same thing. He, he got caught, but he had a hard, loud line drive into that alleyway. So I, I was really impressed with him in terms of you know taking what the pitcher gave him and trying to make hard contact that way he's definitely a bright spot on that team i think it was an easy call to make him the number 10 prospect in that system i'll be interested to see what he does against high a uh, arms whenever he gets there but for right now he's he's really intriguing and he can play shortstop too so that's a there's a lot of decent green flags with him
2: and then a guy that's you know not really similar but you know they've they've kind of come through together brian ramos you know was a third baseman but he's he's dh'd a lot there because he's had some defensive issues but he you know he's he's going to play the whole season at 19 so i mean i think we'll definitely rank him probably in the top 15 of this system just like in the state that it's in uh what are your thoughts on brian ramos
1: i mean there's there's bat speed there there's strength there what struck me early in the season was he just was not getting his arms extended at all. And I don't know if that was by design or whether he was kind of nursing that shoulder. Or the way I described it is like he was hitting like he had his wrists cuffed to his waist. And that's not real effective, uh, usually. I mean, when he gets a hold of it, he can make some loud contact, but it just. It hasn't happened for I him. Mean, he had a decent month, I believe. Uh, it was either July or you know, July or something. But there's clearly talent there, and you're right. He's 19 years old. He's at um, low A, and he's going to be a guy that it might take a little longer with, like we talked about with um, Cespedes. Cubans sometimes take a little longer. So I'm I, the upside is there. I think he's kind of interesting, uh, but yes, he's definitely a top 15 in this system. I think.
0: One more going back to Jose Rodriguez. When you saw him, Josh, playing at the low A level, I mean, he just turned 20 this year, but it seems just based on a lot of the footage that I've seen on Rodriguez is that he's really athletic. Did you see that on the field? Do you feel like he kind of stood out of it athletically compared to the rest of the competition at that level? Do you think he's ready to get promoted here soon? And what did you think of the bat speed? Because I know there's a lot of movement in his swing, but. Seems like he's also pretty strong, too.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how to answer the promotion question because I'm not. And I think, you know, guessing when a guy is going to be promoted is kind of a fool's errand because there's so many different factors that go into it. Like they've got Len Sosa at Winston-Salem right now. And if you want to get those guys to continue to have shortstop reps every day, how can you move him up? I, I don't know about that. And athletically, yeah, he's, he's got it. I mean, he can make all sorts of crazy plays. Um, There needs to be a little more consistency in his defensive game, but you know, he'll make some plays that really stand out, you know, at at shortstop at the plate. Yeah. I think he's got enough bat speed to kind of cover for some of that movement, but I am also a guy who, you know, I'm not breaking any ground here, but I like simple swings. I think, you know, there's a lot of prospects out there that do get in trouble uh, because they have so much movement in their swings and they, he doesn't get exposed until I get either to AAA or the big leagues or things like that. So that's when I sit here and I look at open swings a lot. That's kind of something that I, that kind of sets off some bells for me if I see too much in there. Sometimes some you have to be special to make a lot of these swings work, and some of these guys are special, but it's tricky. You've got to be athletic. You've got to be quick. You've got to have all sorts of different intangibles in your swing to repeat it and make it work and keep the bat uh, in the zone long enough to do damage. Uh, we'll we'll see on Rodriguez, but, you know, the early signs are good.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of upside in his game. I was just curious to hear your take and somebody who's seen him in person, which is awesome. And I want to kind of stick with Canapolis here since you were just evaluating the club a little bit. Is there any other names that jumped out to you? Any player that caught you? Hey, okay, this is, this is a, I'm impressed with what I'm seeing here. You know, we've had a lot of conversations about the high school players or the young international prospects that they've signed. And this is really their first test uh, in 2021 playing stateside or professionally, period. guys like James Beard, DJ Gladney, not really jumping off the page at us in their first seasons. Chase Krogman has had some positive reviews from some. Uh, Harvin Mendoza sometimes has, has caught our attention. Anderson Comas. I'm just curious if there's anybody, and maybe even if I didn't mention them that, stood out to you as you were able to catch the club?
1: I mean, I only saw them for two games this set, but the guy I want to see more of is Wilbur Sanchez. Um, He was ID'd to me as a guy. Like I I generally end my calls with internal guys as, hey, are there anybody not on radars that should be? And you know, they brought up Wilbur Sanchez as a guy who's kind of interesting for his ability to kind of play up the middle and his ability to get bat to ball and maybe can stay at shortstop when or maybe can move to shortstop if and when Rodriguez gets moved so I only saw the one game of him and I don't think he did much but yeah that's a guy I would like to see more of and since you know the schedules are the way they are this year because of COVID I don't think this is the last I've seen of Canapolis. I could be wrong but Canapolis is not that far away from me it's like two and a half hours so if I really wanted to go see him again I could do that and when he does get promoted, it's going, or you know, probably next year at some point, he's going to Winston-Salem, which is also an hour and a half from me. So I will see a lot of Wilbur Sanchez as he moves up the ladder.
0: All right. So we'll be sure to talk to you then yeah. about Mr. Wilbur Sanchez. Uh, and it looks like he'll be, what, 20, is it 26 on the Baseball America Top 30 here for the White Sox? So yes. that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely somebody to keep an eye on as uh, he continues his professional career. Uh, Josh, let me ask you this. Is Jimmy Lambert a starter? Do you think he can start in the big leagues? They do. They they think that his stuff is
1: among the best in their system among starting prospects. They think he's got four above average or better pitches, and he was a guy ID'd to me a couple years ago as Pete, some, someone you know, before he got quasi-famous people who were were asking for him in trades. So it's a matter of you know putting all the health together and things like that. But I think there's, you know, enough there for a back end guy.
0: Well that's great to hear because obviously, you know, he he dealt with the arm issues too and we saw a glimpse of him in 2020. So they're developing him still as a starter. Um and somebody too who's kind of alongside him in that ride is Jonathan Stever and it seemed like he took a step back and you know obviously we highly regarded in the SOC system. Does he still have a future you think in terms of a ceiling maybe a starter in the big leagues?
1: I think it's kind of a similar ceiling to Lambert the way I ranked him 12 and 13. A little more reliever risk with Stever. It sounds like his breaking ball has come along a little bit this year. So that was good to hear, but it, it's it's kind of sitting on that same fence. Like there could be a reliever in there, but it's I don't think there's scouts ready yet necessarily to shove him in the bullpen I mean last year was obviously very weird for his development but there's still some things he needs to work on too so I wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up as a five starter but I also wouldn't be surprised to see him as like a setup man either
2: yeah last year was extremely strange because 2019 he pitched pretty well Winston-Salem really kind of I guess burst out of the scene just a tad bit and then they promoted him to the big leagues last year for two starts, I think, which was I was really unexpected for me. Have you heard at all, like how much they think, or just outside scouts think Charlotte is hurting him just pitching there?
1: Um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think scouts tend to look more at the stuff and the arm action and things like that than the numbers. We all know that Charlotte's a bandbox. Honestly, I think that park is a little it does a disservice to hitters if we're really being honest. Um, because you can, they know it's a bandbox, And sometimes if you're not disciplined, you can get out of your approach and try to, you know, put a ball on the street or wherever. And that might be, you know, it might get you a home run or a bunch of home runs now, but that's detrimental to your approach in the long run. So I, it's like that with a place like, you know, Charlotte, place like Redding, uh, Reading, Pennsylvania in the, in the double A Northeast, Asheville in the high A East, Greensboro in the high A East, those are kind of places that they're so pitcher or hitter friendly that they might get hitters out of their approach. And I think ultimately that can be a little detrimental. They might put guys on the map because they put up big numbers, but it doesn't help their development always.
2: So the last thing I have for you, and obviously you said you haven't, you know, you haven't been out in Arizona to see the rookie ball team, but you know one guy that Ben Badler your colleague was really high on with us was Christian Mena I mean he's I think he's only like 18 he never pitched in the DSL so he's you know he's stateside for the first time what what should like i guess we or like our readers look for with him i mean the stats are probably going to not be great is it just like k to 9 at this point with like how old he is pitching there that type yeah. of stuff oh i one of the things is
1: that really always um, lights me up is age and context. Age and context all the time, and you're absolutely right. A guy like him at his age, who never pitched in the DSL, is interesting. And kudos to you guys. I think your tweets is where I got the clue to ask about him to scouts um, at, in, who have seen him in the ACL and extended and whatever. um But yeah, he he came up as a guy who's kind of interesting. That's why I put him at number twenty three. Uh, You've got strikes, you've got projectability, you've got a little bit of now stuff. You get hints of something that might be something, if that makes sense. So, yeah, there's something to get excited about there uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. And I was very happy that uh, to hear the, the, the reports match uh, what people were saying. So it was, it, he's, a, he's a decent player.
2: Do you or JJ or anybody there have the ability to get the name of that league changed? So that people can, <laughs> like, every time we tweet about the ACL, all of our readers are like, oh my God, like, you gave me a heart attack. Like, I thought somebody was hurt. So, yeah, well, it's, it's, I, it's, it's kind funny. of a weird name for a league.
1: It really is. I I, I will never understand why. Like, if you really want to nitpick about it, Gulf Coast League was a misnomer because they weren't all on the coast. You know, Lakeland and Atlanta are inland. So maybe, but no, a- Arizona was always just Arizona. And it's not like there's another. It's very weird. Arizona has, you know, all the 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 big league spring training complexes and the Arizona Fall League and things like that, but they don't have any minor league teams, any regular season minor league teams or full season minor league teams. But it's a very weird thing. So, I don't know why they need to put Arizona Complex League in there. That's a long way of saying no, I don't have that power, but <laughs> I I will adapt to it if that's the if that's the worst thing I have to deal with in 2021, I will consider myself lucky.
0: What are some of the things that you're dealing with now as we wrap up this conversation, Josh? You know, What, what is it that you're working on at Baseball America that's maybe presented challenges or has taken up all of your time lately? Well,
1: I will say that I've been next week is eight years at BA. And Congratulations. Thank you. And July was the busiest month I've ever seen i think JJ, if you got him on this podcast, he's been BA, I want to say 20 years almost. It would probably be the busiest month for him. And that includes book season and all sorts of things. Like I, I if we're if we're truly honest, I found myself falling asleep at games recently. Again, like in the ninth thing I was trying to keep my head up. Trade deadline, futures game, all-star game, draft, mid season thirties. Any number of other things. Like I, I couldn't believe watching JJ go from the futures game in Denver to the theater where the draft was held, and just that kind of day for him, and just still be able to like open his eyes. And then you know we're we're re-updating these uh, mid-season thirties here tomorrow, I think, to account for trade deadlines and graduations. Like if you're a Blue Jays reader, you know Alec Manoa is going to be gone, Wander Franco is going to be gone for the Rays, et cetera. So there's always that, and there's org rankings coming up. the The 2021 draft was happening while the 2022 showcases were going on. Like right now, if I if I were so inclined, there there are showcases going on for the 17U team, about 15 minutes from my house in Cary, and that's with the normal minor league season going on. And then there's you know trying to deal with whatever things COVID deals like. In in a normal year, I'd probably be going down to the, the FCL and the low A southeast right now. But sorry, not with those trend lines right now. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been all sorts of stuff going on. And we're just about to hit, just about to leave book season, or about to leave the minor league season and head into ranking season. I mean, we're two issues. Best tools is coming up. And then after that, we're going to get league top 10s, league top 20s, things like that. And then, bam, it's top 30s. Like, before you know it, we'll be coming yep. top 30s again.
0: Yep. It's relentless, too. Yeah, it never ends. I mean, even when the offseason hits, there's still a lot to do. And, Josh, we really appreciate the coverage from Baseball America, your team, senior editor at Baseball America, and all the work that you do. It's a tremendous resource for us and our listeners and our readers. So, we thank you and we extend the thank you, you know, from our listeners as well. So thanks again for jumping on this podcast. Really appreciate your time and everything that you do. And yeah,
1: I'll turn it right back on you guys. You know, you guys do an excellent job too, uh, covering the system. And, you know, I can't keep up necessarily with everybody. Like I said, Mana was the name that popped up because you popped them into my feed. So you guys do a really, really good job covering this system the way you do. So, you know, take a bow yourselves.
0: That's Josh Norris, senior editor at Baseball America. It's been uh, it's been quite the trend from top White Sox farm system to now number 30. But White Sox are trying to win a World Series. Sometimes that happens. And you know what? Call me optimistic, but I think there's a number of White Sox prospects that will turn this system around quickly. Looking at the philosophy in terms of draft classes, international signing periods, the White Sox will be okay, I think. It's, well, I'm not going to look at the uh, other side of town and compare the two, but I just did in sort of a way. So for Josh Norris of Baseball America and James Fox. At Future Socks, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. Check us out on acre.fm forward slash Future Socks for our entire library. And until next time, thanks so much for listening. It'll be again soon.